Greetings and welcome to all our listeners of Church Matters. My name is Dan Dick. Whether you're listening on the radio or via podcast, it's really good to be here with you. There are still a few weeks of summer left, and summer is often a time when folks take the opportunity to visit the churches of friends and family while on vacation. To that end, we're going to do something a little different this summer by bringing you a couple of sermons preached in the past year in a local church. Today's sermon is an epiphany sermon preached on January 2, 2011. It's called, What Now?, and was presented by Mike Neufeld at Home Street Mennonite Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The faithful know very well about Jesus' birth, his death, and resurrection, but Mike pushes us to ask, what will we do in response to what we know about Jesus' life? Mike grew up in the church and is a husband and father of four. He teaches church history at Mennonite Brethren Collegiate Institute in Winnipeg, Manitoba. He and his family have lived in Kenya, where he taught at Roslyn Academy, an interdenominational Christian school. In his teaching, Mike shares about how the early church's Nicene Creed, a crucial piece of church doctrine, jumps from Jesus' birth to his death to his resurrection, but glosses over Jesus' life. Now, Mike asserts that this doctrine has for centuries left a lasting and unbalanced view of the purpose of Jesus' life and subsequently left a void in Christian practice. The New Testament passage chosen for Mike's teaching comes from Matthew 2 and Ephesians 3. The Matthew text which has already been read prior to Mike's teaching, tells how Joseph and Mary chose an alternate route to avoid Herod's ominous search party for the infant Jesus. Here now, in the voice of the Apostle Paul, is an excerpt from Ephesians 2, reminding his readers of the purpose of Jesus' life. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ, and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. Let's join Mike now as he asks what we will do with Jesus' life. So we've heard the news. God has broken into our world. We gather around the cradle, God incarnate, lying there in his most unusual of disguises. We lay our gifts before the child. We've been told to fear not, that this is good news for all the people. Eventually we rise, not really knowing what to do next, reluctantly turning away and heading back home. In the back of our minds lurks the question we don't really want asked perhaps on account of our fear of the answer, or even more disturbingly, the haunting possibility it is a question with no answer. That question must be spoken though. What now? What does the baby, the sign that we have so anxiously waited for, mean now that he has arrived? I'd like to focus on the story that was just told of the wise men for just a moment. 
They have finally seen the boy king. They have laid out their gifts. They have paid homage and have realized perhaps that this young child will change everything. This knowledge that they possess is dangerous. Herod, the puppet king, considers the sign dangerous. Dangerous enough to go on a horrific killing spree of children, hoping to extinguish the sign that changes everything. But something has happened, and Herod is not an idiot. He knows that the sign is no longer contained within the body of one small child. It has been grafted onto the wise men. They have become the sign bearers, and by default, a sign for others to see. They must be stopped. Yet angels appear, warning the Magi to go home via a different route. Escape the net that Herod is casting. These men from the east are not only the signs, but the targets. Is it any wonder that the what now is a question we'd rather not ask? What if the what now makes us targets? What if we become signs for a hurting, unjust world where men claim to be gods and the poor and weak are marginalized? What if the signs we become after gazing upon the sign of God make us undesirable to those in power? What if the voices of greed and malice and anger and hatred and scorn do not wish to hear a different voice? What if an alternative vision of the world and how it works so scares the powers that be that they will do anything to eliminate the good news? And what if we know that? What if we believe deep down that we do not have the strength or the wisdom or the resolve to be the sign? What if we just can't believe that in our weakness, God is strong? Or what if the baby is really just a baby and that to move beyond the manger is the talk of idealists and dreamers? I try and teach church history to a lot of 15 and 16 year old kids. And I wonder quite often whether they ever see the big picture. But regardless of what they see, the study of our history has begun to open my eyes to the difficulty of moving beyond Christmas. Allow me to illustrate using just a couple of historical examples. In 325, Constantine, the Roman emperor who made Christianity an accepted religion, called a meeting of 300 bishops across his empire to gather at Nicaea, where once and for all the controversies surrounding what Christians believe would be settled. The most important document to come out of that meeting was the Nicene Creed. Though not as familiar in Anabaptist circles, the Creed answers once and for all the questions plaguing Christianity in the fourth century, particularly those involving the nature and divinity of Jesus. Closer inspection of the Creed, however, shows that a fundamental shift has happened in the life of the Church. Listen to the following selection from the Nicene Creed that shows us our Christmas theme, and then pay attention carefully to what follows. The Nicene Creed, and I quote, Who, for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, 
of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. Did you catch it? We storm our way through the Christmas story and head straight to the crucifixion. Whatever happened to the middle of the story? As my dear wife once said, if the whole point of Jesus' life was to die, why didn't God just let Herod get him? The missing story of Jesus' life and teachings allows the church to ultimately forget the what now question. God acts in the incarnation, and then we wait for God to act again at the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. The belief that the church enshrined in 325, while combating various heresies for sure, subtly chipped away at the necessity for the church to act as a sign. Believe the right thing and you're in. Living out an incarnational life, becoming the sign, becoming the target, becoming the hands and feet of Jesus fades into the background. In an irony that cannot be lost, later groups that would emerge in the Middle Ages, like the Waldensians, would be persecuted for believing the wrong thing, even though the Inquisitors, their persecutors, recognized a moral lifestyle. Listen to this excerpt from the Inquisitor's Handbook. Heretics are to be recognized by their morals and their words. In moral behavior, they are composed and modest. They take no pride in their clothing, which is neither too rich nor too abject. They do not undertake any business because they seek to avoid lying and oaths and fraud. But they make their living by the work of their hands as craftsmen. Their learned men are weavers and textile workers. They do not increase their riches, but are satisfied with necessities. They go neither to taverns, nor to the shows, nor to any such vanities. They avoid anger. They are always working, teaching, or learning, and therefore they pray little. They may also be recognized by their words, which are precise and modest. They sure sound like heretics to me. This is where we see the disconnect that the church had gone to. Any move between the cradle and the cross were viewed with suspicion. Let's turn our attention to Menno Simons. He understood as well as anyone that becoming incarnational, becoming the sign, was dangerous. Let me give you a little background story here. Menno Simons had been a Catholic priest, one who, like many others, had never actually read the Bible. One day, amidst his life of partying and ease, he heard of a man beheaded for being rebaptized. In an effort to find out where the man was in error, he began to search the scriptures. To make a long story short, Menno realized that much of what he had believed was not true. He began to see a different story unfolding before him. It was a story of discipleship, of Nachfolge, following after Jesus. It was also a life that would change the way he lived in profound and what he perceived to be, originally, negative ways. And so for years, 
Menno believed one thing, but preached another. He preached a word to the people that he knew was inaccurate. His feelings of hypocrisy intensified after the Munsterite rebellion, where misguided Anabaptists in 1535 took up violence to solve their problems. 300 were eventually caught and executed, including Simon's brother. Listen to the following words of Menno Simons after this event. After this had transpired, the blood of these people, although misled, fell hot on my heart. I reflected upon my unclean, carnal life, also the hypocritical doctrine and idolatry which I still practice daily in appearance of godliness, but without relish. I saw that these zealous children, although in error, willingly gave their lives and their estates for their doctrine and faith. But I myself acknowledged abomination simply in order that I might enjoy physical comfort and escape the cross of Christ." End of quote. For Menno, the what now answer was hazardous, dangerous, illegal, and potentially meant his death. Living out the what now would make him, like the wise men, a target. For years he just couldn't do it. The answer was too costly, too demanding, too much of a price to pay. And yet looking at the child and realizing what it means wore away at him as it should for us. Listen to these words of Simon's a few years after. Although I resisted in former times thy precious word and thy holy will with all my power, nevertheless thy fatherly grace did not forsake me a miserable sinner, but in love received me and taught me by the Holy Spirit until of my own choice I declared war upon the world, the flesh, and the devil, and willingly submitted to the heavy cross of my Lord Jesus Christ that I might inherit the promised kingdom. Finally, Menno had become the sign, the target, the disciple who would carry the cross, who would move beyond the cradle and live out the life of Jesus. 325, 1535, now 2011. Who are we? Will we fast forward from Christmas to crucifixion, refusing to entertain the life of Jesus and the potential for turning us into signs, into targets, to alternate voices the powers that be do not want to hear? Do we know what is at stake, like Menno, and resist the urge to dive into the work of the kingdom so that we can enjoy the kingdom we currently live in? Or do we find ourselves drawn ever closer to being the sign right here and right now? I hope so, for you and for myself. One of the most important theological films to come out in the last decade was a beautiful little thing called Bruce Almighty. For those who have never seen the film, the premise is fairly simple. Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, feels his life is going nowhere and ultimately blames God. Likening God, played by Morgan Freeman, to a mean kid with a magnifying glass frying an ant on a sidewalk. God decides that Bruce needs to learn something and so gives him his power. Needless to say, Bruce makes a mess of being God, using his newfound powers to bring him what he wants, 
while ignoring the prayers of those around him, until he gets so tired of the voices, he gives people whatever they want, and ultimately does not get what he really wants. In a telling scene near the end of the film, Bruce and God are mopping a floor and chatting. At one point, God says that no matter how messy a situation gets, it can always be cleaned up. One is led to believe that it is God who will clean up the mess, but God turns the tables on Bruce. In answer to Bruce's question, what do I do? Similar to the what now, is it not? God essentially tells Bruce that people want God to do everything for them, and that what they don't realize is that they have the power. If you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. Finally, Bruce asks God what happens if he needs help. The response is, that's the problem. Everyone always looks up. Now, while the film does focus far too much on humans making the world a better place on their own, it does provide a necessary corrective to the issues brought up throughout this little meditation. God will not simply speak into our world and perform miracle after miracle and take care of all the messes we have made. The story is not simply God incarnate, God crucified, God resurrected. It is a partnership with God in bringing God's dreams for this place into reality. This is the audacious comment that the creed misses. The kingdom of God is at hand. In Jesus and continuing through us, the kingdom is coming and is already here. We live in that tension daily and to turn a blind eye to it, expecting that we have no part in the drama after the birth is a disservice to the lives that God has called us to. We need to be part of the story. We need to be the sign that there is something happening in our world right now. God has broken into this world. Let me conclude with the words of N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Christian. And may they be a challenge for all of us as we look ahead to 2011, a year of being the sign and maybe even the target. N.T. Wright, and I quote, Christianity is all about the belief that the living God, in fulfillment of his promises and as the climax to the story of Israel, has accomplished all this, the finding, the saving, the giving of new life in Jesus. He has done it. With Jesus, God's rescue operation has been put into effect once and for all. A great door has been swung open in the cosmos, which can never again be shut. It's the door to the prison where we've been kept chained up. We are offered freedom, freedom to experience God's rescue for ourselves, to go through the open door and explore the new world to which we now have access. In particular, we are invited, summoned actually, to discover through following Jesus that this new world is indeed a place of justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty, and that we are not only to enjoy it as such, but to work at bringing it to birth on earth as in heaven. In listening to Jesus, we, discovers, we discover whose voice it is that is echoed around our hearts and minds of the human race all along. Amen.
That concludes this special sermon episode for this summer Sunday. If you've heard an especially fine sermon in your church and you'd like to share it with our listeners, send a good quality recording of it to churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. We can't promise we'll air it, but we do promise we'll listen to it. Thank you to all our listeners wherever you are. I invite you to support the ministry of Church Matters with a gift. You can give through the mail, in person, over the phone at 1-866-888-6785 or online at mennonitechurch.ca. My name is Dan Dick and you've been listening to Church Matters, where our prayer is always that you will be called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Tune in wherever you are and thanks for listening. See you next time. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.